this is a fabulous new feature been around for a little while on token terminal but this is a cohort analysis that's giving us a glimpse into this and we're going to go deeper on this as well but what it's showing us is like okay when a user came on so so in february of 2023 we had 281,000 new users so these are new wallets that started interacting with smart contracts in ZK Sync. Just like with any payments network that includes transactions, you look at how many transactions are happening. So for all those people who still think crypto is vaporware, this is actual data, thanks to Token Terminal, that we are able to evaluate for even layer two protocols like ZK Sync, that this is an incredible amount of transactions happening, like millions of transactions. <laughs> Welcome everyone to another episode of The Rundown, our second episode of 2024. We are pumped. We got so many feedback on our respective socials, hasn't it been, Michael? We reached 70,000 plus on our combined socials, and we are getting love from US, Europe, India, Australia. Everybody is so thankful that we are coming week after week, providing trustful, authentic, comprehensive updates on crypto assets. And I can't be more pumped. Our first episode of 2024 was received well. It was the highest viewed video on uh, my YouTube channel. And uh, I know that your YouTube channel is also growing now. All of your Substacks users are now subscribing to the DeFi Report YouTube as well. So a great start to 2024 and welcome back again, Michael. Yeah. Hello, everybody. It's great to be back. And yeah, no, it's been uh, exciting. I think we're on what episode nine now. So we are we're going into our second month. And yeah, the feedback has been good. You know, you and I have been in the space for a while writing on LinkedIn. You know, I've been writing the DeFi report for a while. I think people are enjoying the ability to see us get into a little bit more nuance with some of the research and, and the data. The feedback's been great. We've had some people requesting to come on as guests. So we may have some guests coming as well for people, which should be interesting for the viewers. And yeah, excited for 2020. We've got an exciting episode today. There's a lot going on in the markets. We're going to get into ZK Sync and zero knowledge rollups as well and then go on chain and show some data there. So yeah, so pumped uh, to get into it. Amazing, Michael. So let's start with the biggest driver for volatility on the crypto markets. Let's start with Bitcoin ETF and whatever news is happening all that volatility. What is your take, Michael? Yeah, so it is ETF week, obviously. And this episode is going to drop on Friday. We always record these just a few days in advance to give the editors an opportunity to go ahead and, and clean up all of our ums and ahs and, and all that. So we're actually recording this before the news drops. So when this comes out, we will know whether or not the initial ETF, which the SEC's deadline is January 10th, we'll know if that was approved or not. We saw like a bunch of volatility in the markets last week around this, which kind of caught my eye a little bit. I mean, I'm sure caught your eye a little bit as well, Shiv. We saw like this news story drop. I think it was the block that released this story about an analyst, Marcus Thielen, who was at Matrixport for a little while. And I think he just actually started his own research shop. He's somebody that a good analyst, he's somebody that I follow on LinkedIn and provides really good, good information. But it was kind of interesting, like the block basically cited Marcus in this news story about how there was a decent chance, or at least the market wasn't expecting that the ETF could actually be rejected. And the market sold off abruptly, I think plus, you know, 
10% or so really quickly. Kind of interesting just to see this play out. It kind of got me thinking, you know, whenever I see stuff like this, I'm like, why did this story come out? I'm always asking, why am I reading something? And why is the market reacting to it this way? No idea what's going on here. What I tried to glean out of this report was, is there some sort of new information that we didn't have previously that this new story is shedding a light on? Really didn't see it, to be honest. It was kind of like, well, there's lots of politics at play in the United States. And, you know, this ETF isn't a slam dunk. I think we've known this for a while. And even like Bloomberg, you know, who's been really kind of on top of this, and they've put like a 90% chance of approval out there. They followed up and said they didn't think there was any new, you know, information that, that came out, um, at least from their viewpoint, that would suggest, you know, changing that 90% projected approval. So we'll see. I think, again, the takeaway for me was like, why am I reading this? Like, what what's going on? Is this just a news story? Is this just the block trying to generate interest? Why is it happening? And then, of course, the market impact is the other piece of it. So you have this news story, you know, it didn't seem like there was any real news there, but it impacted the markets severely because of sort of the setup with leverage in the system and funding rates, which I thought might be good to, to kind of jump into. I'll pause there and I could pull up the funding rate data and we can kind of look at this and, and I can show what sort of tends to happen in bull markets as the market got ahead of itself a little bit. So look, before you open up and show us those amazing visual charts that uh, helps a lot of our rundown podcast viewers and listeners to educate themselves on why these things are important, I just want to make a mention of what I thought about, you know, this news piece. It's coming back to what we have discussed so many times. There is a need for good, authentic, independent journalism, comma, analytics approach, on-chain analysis approach, and just authentic people within crypto informing the world what is right, what is wrong. And that's why we started the rundown. And I know that I haven't told you this before, but maybe we should start thinking about hiring more people and actually having good journalism on crypto because clearly, you know, there is so many issues with the incumbents already, which I'm not going to name. Fake news coming from their editorials. So this is just another example for me, at least, that there is so much space for crypto media to address all these issues because this have market sentimental repercussions which we have seen now massive need for authentic crypto media companies to come up and i think we both should talk actively on how to expand the rundown into more bigger crypto media company than our humble attempt with the podcast started Hey, we, we got started with the podcast. The DeFi report's been going for a while. You know, I got to say, like, I was never planning on building a media company, but like, who knows? Maybe that's the direction we need to consider. So I agree with you on all those points. Like, you never know, like, when you have financial markets and media at the same time, there's incentives for people to do weird things, right? Is there some incentive for somebody to write a fake report because they see the market setup? And we're going to show the market setup right now. So let me show everybody kind of what, again, if you're listening, just the audio of this, of course, we tend to pull up a lot of charts and slides. So recommend people check out the YouTube if you want to see the visual to go along with the discussion here. Yeah, so just pulling up the funding rates and, you know, we can see like, essentially this is where the story dropped. I'm already in direct, but I think, you know, what would be great is because some of our viewers, they do not really know what these funding rates and open interest mean. So I'm going to act as a professor of a business school and ask you, my special guest, Professor Michael Nato, to explain to all of our listeners what is funding rates and open interest and how does it impact 
Bitcoin, let's say. Yeah, so the funding rates, this is what I use to monitor the sentiment in the markets. And when you get into a bull market, like what we're looking at is these, these are perpetual funding rates, they're futures contracts, and it's showing sentiment of traders. So when the market, when everyone's expecting the price of Bitcoin to go up, you'll see the funding rates increase. And it's essentially the amount that people are paying, traders are paying to go long Bitcoin, right? Somebody has to take the other side of that contract and to incentivize them to take the contract, the people that are going long on those contracts have to pay the other side. And so when you see the funding rate really inching up, it's showing you that the sentiment is getting really bullish. And when this happens, you tend to get a correction, right? It's sort of like we talk a lot about how, and I always say, you know, Bitcoin isn't volatile, like people are volatile. So when you see the funding rates going up, you're seeing volatility, you're seeing greed enter the market. And what happened here in relation to this news story that dropped, the market was getting a little bit out over, over its skis. We can see the funding rate peaked, you know, up here. And then this news story hit. And essentially this just like wipes out a lot of this greed that's in the market. And Bitcoin's price dropped about 10%. You can see the price is sort of the, the yellow line and the green bars are the funding rates. The funding rates just dropped right out. And the price, of course, drops out with that. The open interest is really just the total, like the sum of all the contracts that are out there. Again, that's just another way to sort of view what's happening in terms of like sentiment and how, how much interest there is in the markets at the time. I think it's interesting to sort of pull this back. So I'm gonna pull this, this chart back to show, you know, when we look at it right now, we're seeing largely positive funding rates. These When you see it go negative here, this is when you have like, more shorts entering the market. So a little bit more of a negative sentiment entering the market. And we can see there's a huge difference between what we're looking at right now is the end of October through like today. If I pull this back, we see a totally different story in terms of like the sentiment in the market. So kind of late last year, you can see the sentiment was very different. And then once we got into October or so, which we've seen you know large moves in, in not only Bitcoin, but a lot of other crypto assets, sentiment has totally flipped. So this is a great way. It's something I'm just keeping an eye on myself. And this is like separate from the on-chain data, but it's really a market indicator of kind of what's happening. And when you see things get frothy or when the funding rates really go up, it's sort of telling me that there's an imminent correction coming and that the market's getting a little, a little greedy out there. This can go in the other way as well, when the market is sort of at a bottom and everybody's shorting it and everybody thinks it's going lower, you can have a short squeeze and, and then those shorts get wiped out and you actually get like price will rip up or 15%. So it does move in both directions. But the one we recently saw related to this news story was a drop in the price. And again, like if a trader is seeing this setup and then you drop a story in the block, like people can profit off of that. So that there's potential manipulation of the market, you know, using this type of information. So just wanted to kind of share this with people. It's another you know, strong data point to, to keep in mind, especially in a, in a bull market. Amazing. So look, this is very useful. I'm sure the viewers, they're going to really appreciate you showing this. Can I ask you, and I apologize if I'm putting you on the spot. Firstly, because I know that there are various websites that showcase these statistics, which website do you use? You find the most reliable website in order to find out the funding rate and open interest for these uh, contracts. I'm using CoinGlass here. That's what I recommend people use. This is, I'm not paying for this data. So if you just go to coinglass.com and then click into the funding rate, you should be able to, to see this. They also have like a heat map that you can kind of look at as well for this. I think CoinGlass is a good resource for people that want to monitor this themselves. And the other question that I've got 
is that does this data include the CME contracts as well, or is it just crypto exchanges derivatives that are on these crypto exchanges? Does it only account? For this is only including these exchanges that are noted at the top here. So it's, we've got BitMEX, Binance, Bybit, OKX, Huobi. I don't think CME has perpetual, this is perpetual futures contracts. I don't think CME has- Yeah, they don't have perpetual. You could check that separately. That's another way to gauge interest too. You could just, you go to the CME data, which is a large chunk of this as well. And that's another way to, to monitor. I would say this is almost one way to sort of separate that CME data versus these sort of crypto native exchanges would be, this would be like more crypto natives and like maybe the more DGEN type crowd, like CME is going to be more like institutions that are trading on there. Yeah, absolutely. You know what will be a great topic to talk about next week, Michael? Because uh, by the time we record our next week's episode, we'll be talking about whatever decision on January 10th is taken on the ARK Bitcoin spot ETF is the difference between the contracts available for Bitcoin on CME versus the DGEN versions of various derivatives uh, for Bitcoin. And what would it mean for CME once Bitcoin starts becoming more institutionalized? Because we might see more and more volume on CME with Bitcoin contracts and maybe introduction of other derivatives for Bitcoins as well on those. So that might be a good topic to talk about next week. Yeah, especially with like the market structure potentially changing if you do get the ETF approval and all of a sudden, you know, people may be looking to get exposure to Bitcoin through CME futures contracts today. And they may say, well, if I can just buy spot, you know, through an ETF, like that's interesting. And like, we're going to start to see the market structures change and we'll be looking at the data to like, to identify that. So I agree. We'll keep people up to, up to speed on how things go, assuming we do get that approval. One other thing I just wanted to mention, like Bitcoin ETF, this news story, the volatility of the markets, like part of this and, you know, crypto Twitter has like caught on to this a little bit is that there are still like special interest groups in Washington, D.C. that are soliciting like the, the SEC to disapprove this ETF application. One of them is, is a special interest group called Better Markets. People have identified this one in particular because they are supported by um, Elizabeth Warren and Gary Gensler. I think on the public record, Gary Gensler has met with this group over nine times already. That's nine more times than he's met with Coinbase, by the way. And so people are like pointing to this and just saying like, hey, like there's still a lot of messiness with the politics here. And there's clearly groups that are trying to stop this. And so this is a potential threat that people should be aware of. I don't consider this to be new news. Like we, we've sort of known that this is already going on. The courts have already sort of had a say in this related to the GBTC, you know, converting the trust to an ETF. But I just wanted to put that out there that there are still like, you know, these things going on. And this is what that analyst was sort of pointing at to say, hey, there's a chance that this, this ETF could actually be rejected. If it is rejected, it still doesn't mean that that's forever. It might just take a little bit longer for it to go through. But just wanted to mention that as well. And I don't know if you have any, anything to add on to, to that story, but this is expected. So look, I, I'm glad you brought it up. I was going to mention something about it as well. I'm not an American citizen. I'm an Australian citizen. So I'm putting you on the spot again, asking you a question about US politicians. But I think I speak on behalf of the Australian crypto industry uh, because we all look up to US regulations because it's, you know, the biggest economy in the world and whatever they said for things like crypto, the other countries kind of follow it. Is Elizabeth Warren, I know she's 
people's representative, but is she qualified to talk how should we treat crypto or economics in general? What is our qualifications that make these comments and people follow it? Yeah, I mean, is she qualified? Like, I don't know. Like, I don't know, you know, how much work her office does to like truly understand this stuff. I, I would assume she is qualified to talk about this. And I, I don't necessarily think that she's just misinformed. I think she's probably actually pretty well informed and she just, there are special interests and there are politics at play, right? She's campaigning on this idea of like building an anti-crypto army. Like this is something that she put out there. And like, to me, it's just politics. Like she thinks that that's good for like that her constituents don't like crypto and they want, they're cheering her on to go after crypto. That's one piece of it. The other piece is like, we don't really know like what other incentives are at play here. Like is, we, we saw her like teeing up questions to like Jamie Dimon. I don't know, like I wish, we, we just don't know what's going on behind the scenes. And if there's somebody's interest that's being protected and they're doing that through like, through politics possible, you know, I, I don't know. I try to give people the benefit of the doubt, but like what we've seen over and over with Elizabeth Warren in particular is the crypto industry come to her and offer and, and say, cause she's kind of like pushing this narrative that it's criminal activity, it's funding terrorism and all of these, these things. And these like crypto data and analytics firms will come forth and say, this is just simply untrue. We can show you the data. We can go through all of this. And there's just, there's no interest in exploring the truth. That's typically how I look at it. I would say if the goal is just to unearth the truth, she would be totally open to meet with these people and to go through all this and to just engage with, you know, thoughtful debate on, on the facts. But if you're not willing to do that, it just tells me there's something else going on and you're protecting someone else's interest or you have some other incentives that you would rather, you know, speak about these other things. So yeah, to answer the question, I assume she has the information. It's just more, you know, it's politics, right? Politics is politics. So no. Got it. Look, I appreciate your candidness in approaching this question. Uh, so look, uh, this was great. I think this was the market update that we wanted that the Rundown podcast viewers also wanted after our 2024 predictions video. Maybe it's time that we talk about the educational side of our podcast now and talk about that we gave a little bit of knowledge to our viewers previously. And let's talk about zero knowledge rollups, is it? Yeah, so this is something I've been doing a lot of research on. You know, we've talked a lot and we had an episode where we went through the economics of Ethereum L2s. And what we primarily have focused on is the growth of the L2s over the last, let's call it the last year or two. And we've seen like this steady growth in terms of value locked, in terms of users, in terms of the number of transactions that are moving from L1 to L2. And that analysis has primarily been focused on optimistic rollups. And so I'm now starting to get into zero knowledge rollups. There's more nuance that we can get into as well with rollups slash L2s and the economics, because we've kind of gone through this, but there's new protocols being introduced for data availability, such as Celestia, which is a popular project that recently launched that is actually adding another layer of complexity in terms of how we look at how value is going to accrue through the tech stack. But for this episode, I want to just sort of share like how we think about optimistic rollups versus zero knowledge. Let me just pull up some more qualitative data to start this off. I want to just kind of break down the difference between zero knowledge rollups, optimistic rollups. So again, we, we've done analysis on Arbitrum, on optimism, on base. These are optimistic rollups and zero knowledge rollups are like ZK sync, which is we're going to go on chain and look at some data here. But 
kind of just breaking down like the differences between these two rollups. They're both L2s, right? We call them rollups as well. Rollups are inheriting the security coming from Ethereum. So that's like the first thing here is like, these are separate blockchains. They're providing execution services to applications by increasing the transaction throughput, lowering the costs, and they're both doing so by inheriting Ethereum security. This is slightly different from Polygon, which is a side chain, which has its own consensus. It has its own network of validators. It uses its own token to pay for gas. So it's a side chain, it's separate from a rollup. But that's the first thing just to understand is that they both you know, get their security from, from Ethereum. In terms of like how the transactions are verified, let's say the user is using like a DEX. It's on a, a layer two. The layer two records that transaction, executes the transaction, and then it's sending a proof of the transaction back to the L1. And this is kind of like, because Ethereum is the most de secure, decentralized layer one network, that's where we want the transactions settling. That's where we want the ultimate accounting to take place. And so Ethereum is serving that settlement use case. And this is how it works in traditional finance as well. Like you have brokerage, like when you transact through a brokerage account, they're not settling the transaction, they're executing the transaction, but it's actually settling at like the DTCC which is sort of like the base layer of, of the tech stack. So it's kind of similar to how it works in traditional finance. The difference between optimistic and zero knowledge is just like the way that this those transactions are, are settled down there. So with zero knowledge proofs, you're getting a validity proof. I'm not going to go into the technical elements of this, but you're getting a validity proof, which is just revealing like a proof that the transaction occurred without revealing all of the details behind that transaction in terms of who sent it, you know, who the user was, who the recipient was, all the, the values, all that privacy is maintained there. With an optimistic rollup, you've got fraud proofs. So optimistic rollups assume all transactions are automatically correct and they send those transactions down to the L1. But then there's about a week long fraud proof period where anybody can challenge whether those transactions are actually accurate. And if they're proven that, that they're correct, they are rewarded economically for, for challenging those transactions. But there's a week long sort of period to do that. So that's one of the main differences. Um, in terms of like the timing of the verification, because you have this one week fraud proof period, optimistic rollups, it takes a week. So that's a pretty big difference in terms of like user experience and everything. If you're trying to withdraw the assets, you need to wait a week. With zero knowledge rollups, it's happening pretty much instantly. The other main difference here is on the privacy. So zero knowledge rollups in ZK Sync in particular will be introducing privacy when you transact on the L2. Today, that transaction actually looks similar to Ethereum. So it's pretty much a public transaction today. The actual data that gets anchored to um, Ethereum is private. So like if you just looked at the, the proof of the transaction, you wouldn't be able to see all the details behind it. But if you went directly to like ZK Sync's blockchain explorer, you would be able to see those details similar to if you were using like Etherscan or something for, for Ethereum. Optimistic rollups are fully public on both sides. Right now, we are seeing like some interesting stuff happening like within Optimism, where they're looking to integrate some zero knowledge stuff as well. So we may see the lines get blurred a little bit here as we go. But that's just a quick note on like the privacy of the data. In terms of like the efficiency right now, zero knowledge is a little bit more efficient in terms of like the, the data and the gas consumption versus optimistic rollups. We mentioned like the, the wait period if you're a user and you've done a transaction through an optimistic rollup, there is a week long wait period. So that impacts capital efficiency right now. So zero knowledge is higher versus optimistic rollups. In terms of like the, the cost of actually like doing the transaction on the L2 tends to be a little bit higher on zero knowledge just because there's much more math. These are more complex technical solutions. So it's a little bit higher than optimistic rollups currently. In just terms of like general complexity to build these things, 
zero knowledge are more more complex versus optimistic. I think this is one of the reasons we've seen more optimistic rollups in traction early on. So just kind of like a high level, trying to just not get too technical here, but just a quick little breakdown of like some of the differences before we jump into some of the data. Do you have anything to add? Yeah, look, so amazing, amazing qualitative analysis by you, Michael. And just to sum it up for our viewers, the zero knowledge rollups, optimistic rollups, they both are Ethereum scaling technology. So when somebody uses this, they're talking about the Ethereum ecosystem. They're not talking about Solana. They're not talking about Avalanche. These roll-up technology is an Ethereum scaling technology. So instantly, this means Ethereum. And as Michael has alluded, zero-knowledge roll-ups, somebody values privacy of data, zero-knowledge roll-ups is for you. Somebody prioritizes transaction value to be lower, optimistic roll-ups is for you. So great qualitative analysis by you. Let's talk about ZK Sync then, if you got nothing further to add about these roll-ups. Yeah. I think like one thing that I try to keep in mind, I put this note down here at the bottom, just to say like, whenever you take a point in time and compare things, in, in crypto and really in anything, but particularly in crypto, like there's always going to be these differences that we can identify. But I always try to keep an eye on the fact that these things are going to change. And because they're permissionless systems, there's so much innovation happening. What we're really betting on is like the teams, their ability to execute, like how strong are the developers? Like, are they going to be able to sort of pivot and, and just sort of execute over time is really the key thing. A lot of people are just like getting really caught up in these technical differences today. I try to keep an eye on like, okay, these things are going to change as well. And, and we should just sort of anchor to the fact that, you know, we're, we're betting on long-term on the ability to execute over a really long period of time. So just wanted to mention that. But yeah, I think it's time to go on chain unless you had anything else to add here. No, let's go on chain with Token Terminal. I'll see you in the terminal. All right, so I want to just kind of run through, you know, ZK Sync, like, as I mentioned, Optimism, Arbitrum, these ones have been around a little bit longer. ZK Sync started development, I would say, around the same period as they did. Um, however, they have they have launched their mainnet about a year or so after these other optimistic rollups. But it's interesting to see that they are getting a lot of traction pretty quickly. So they launched their mainnet in March of last year. So they haven't even been up for a year now. But they pretty much, in terms of on-chain activity, have caught up to Arbitrum optimism, which I want to kind of get into here. So we're looking at 180 day fees here. You know, as I mentioned, ZK Sync, what they, they've raised $450 million and that has allowed them to essentially bootstrap like this ecosystem and create a grants program and seed like a bunch of projects. So you, they already have like, and we'll get into some of the projects that are seeing the most usage later here, but there's quite a few projects already happening which means there's users and there's revenue. So if we look at just the last 180 days, CK Sync has done about $35 million in revenue. Of course, they are paying Ethereum and the Ethereum validators to anchor those proofs to the L1, and that has cost them $24 million. So that margin comes out to somewhere around 30%, which is pretty typical for the other L2s as well. So, and we'll get into some comps data later, but this is holding up pretty well against the other top L2s out there. So in terms of daily active users and monthly active users, like we're seeing some interesting stuff. I mean, they're doing over 400,000 or so on some days in terms of monthly active users getting up over 3 million in some cases. So quite a bit of, you know, on-chain activity for, for ZK Sync. In terms of like how you would compare that to like Ethereum, they're actually getting more active users than Ethereum already. So 
again, they just lost them in uh, 10 months or so ago. Again, early, very, very early. One thing that we are actually like parsing deeper into some of this data and hopefully we'll have some more insights looking forward. It's actually really getting into understanding the nature of the use these early users because what tends to happen with a new project is there's all these like potential token airdrops and incentives for users to interact. And we're, I'm working with the token terminal team to just get a little deeper on this and, and understand, you know, can we draw some correlations to like when a project announces an airdrop to how many users come into that project? And then are those users staying after the airdrop hits? Because that indicates more like product market fit versus just these like mercenary users. And, you know, just quickly there, Michael, I think what would be interesting though, especially given the anomaly of ZK Sync being so popular with its daily usage is what is ZK Sync actually being used for? Is it being used for sending things of value or is it being used for, let's say, you know, exchange trading for tokens or is it being used because there have been some dApps, decentralized applications built using ZK Sync and one or two are like that chat GPT kind of application for ZK Sync ecosystem that everybody is using it, or is it a game or whatever it is. So it'll be great to drill down further, if not in this episode, but in future episodes on what dApps are being used on ZK Sync that is driving all those activity, which is phenomenal. Yeah, no, I'm glad you asked the, the question too. So we're, I'm going to get into, we have a pretty good breakdown of like which projects are seeing the most users and most transactions, most cash users. So I'm going to get to this in a little bit, but yeah, let's move on to um, just transaction counts. So again, just looking at total transactions that are being executed on, on ZK Sync, you know, for reference, Ethereum's doing around a million per day. So you're seeing ZK Sync getting up past Ethereum. Pretty interesting, right? So it tells me that like the L2 ecosystem is thriving. It's healthy growing and this is what we expected to see this is basically what the ethereum's roadmap you know has been for a while that it's going to scale in this modular format and you know it's this is confirming sort of that 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 roadmap so interesting to see this just on that graph i do want to make a quick point over here especially for all our viewers who are new to crypto this is the data that you use to evaluate the fundamental value of a network just like with Visa, just like with MasterCard, just like with Discovery Network, just like with any payments network that includes transactions, you look at how many transactions are happening. So for all those people who still think crypto is vaporware, this is actual data, thanks to Token Terminal, that we are able to evaluate for even layer two protocols like CK Sync, that this is an incredible amount of transactions happening like millions of transactions, right, Michael? This is the value, right? This is the fundamental value of this network. I believe ZK Sync doesn't have a token at the moment, but in future it would have a token. But that's besides the point. The point is that this technology network has got value and that's why we're seeing so many transactions there. Yeah, well said. Just moving on here again, when you're looking at a lot of the fundamental data, when you're a layer one blockchain or a layer two blockchain, looking at the developer activity is obviously critical. And we're seeing like in a nice increase on. So if you even just look going back just to like mid to late last year, the developer activity is picking up quite a bit on ZK Sync. So that's another like very bullish trend because what that means is like they've sort of like bootstrapped the thing and with like a smaller set of developers 
And now that has incentivized more developers to come in. And it's a sign that like, okay, there's people here, they're building things. This is a data point that like, we're trying to actually go much deeper on this as well and say like, okay, it's great that we have some data, you know, this is coming from GitHub repositories, but like, can we go even deep, deeper and, and identify projects where there's, there are developers that we can just tell that they're 10 X developers versus like the average developer. Because just a code commit, a code commit from one developer to another, there can be massive differences just like there is in, in anything else. And so we're, we're going to be, you know, digging deeper on this. But right now we can just see that, okay, there's just more activity. Uh, this is a positive sign. More developers, typically a leading indicator of more, more useful applications, which then means there's more users, which is that flywheel to more transactions, which we just showed, and more economic value, more utility of the actual blockchain. So nice to see developer activity growing as well. And I mentioned earlier, like one thing we tend to see with new projects, new layer twos is like this, the users will sort of circle around and look for airdrops, right? They're, they're going to come interact. They're going to use their wallet and interact with smart contracts to sort of signal to the team that, Hey, I'm a user. I'm loyal. Send me your airdrop when, when, it, when you release it. This is a fabulous new feature, um, which it's, it's, it's been around for a little while on token terminal, but this is a cohort analysis that's giving us a glimpse into this. And we're going to go deeper on this as well. But what what it's showing us is like okay when a user came on so so in february of 2023 we had 281,000 new users so these are new wallets that started interacting with smart contracts in zk sync and if we start to look out so after a month so the next month which means into march of last year 72 percent of those came back right so so that's kind of it so we're starting to get a feel for do we have mercenary users right are they coming for something and then leaving and never coming back this is showing us is that this is actually very very strong so you know if you go out all the way out to 10 months you still had 30 percent of those users interacting with the smart contracts i mean you can see like for the most part this is this is green we've looked at a number of you know, L2s to compare and, and see if there's something interesting going on here where there's some stickiness with the user on ZK Sync. And from what we can see is like there appears to be. So I'm just going to share, this is Arbitrum, right? So Arbitrum is very different looking, right? So this is the same exact time period. So Arbitrum had 1.2 million come in in February of last year. But if you go out to month 10th, only 2% actually returned and we're still using smart contracts. So it's interesting. I mean, we were looked at a, a number of other L2s and ZK Sync is far and away the stickiest we've observed. We still need to go deeper on the data to like understand why that's the case. But this is a really awesome feature on Token Terminal. Look, I have to say applause to Token Terminal and applause for you as well, Michael. I mean, this is the reason we started the rundown, right? We didn't start the rundown to open up price charts and draw triangles or draw dinosaur patterns there and tell people that Ethereum is going to go to the moon. There was a reason we claimed that rundown is going to be world's first crypto fundamentals educational podcast. And we had Token Terminal as a partner. And I want to applaud both of you for sharing such great insights and creating the technology where, you know, we can clearly see at a click of a button the difference between different protocols out there what value they derive, and what is the difference between their fundamental indicators. And then as a rational investment professional or as a rational investor of different asset classes can evaluate these crypto assets, whether they make sense at a particular price or not. Just like how you did with Marinade Finance, 
and Jito. There's something similar over here. So great feature by Token Terminal and great analysis by you, Mike. Yeah, thanks. So you had asked an awesome question, Shiv, like what types of projects are people actually using on ZK Sync? And what we've got here is, um, this is data that's extracted from Token Terminal using their trending contracts feature, which allows us to observe which contracts, which are essentially, you know, SyncSwap is a contract on ZK Sync, you know, which contracts are users interacting with the most. And what we're looking at is the last 180 days, and we can see that SyncSwap, so this is a DEX, is the number one project with 18.9 million transactions through this DEX, which is quite a bit. Like in terms of having a relative comparison here, Uniswap did about 4 million transactions on Ethereum over the same time period. That's pretty interesting. So then the way I'm thinking about it is like, well, okay, that's interesting. We know most of the activity on Uniswap is on Ethereum itself, transactions on the layer one are more expensive. And so those users are typically, are probably trading larger volumes because they're paying higher fees to do so. So one thing we're going to be looking at here is like, you know, what is the average wallet balance for somebody trading on Uniswap on Ethereum L1 versus SyncSwap? Is it just a different type of user? And like, what can we start to learn from that? So transitioning and then the number two project is Circle. The Circle has you know, 18.8 million transactions. This is a USDC stablecoin transactions on ZK Sync. And, you know, again, comparing that to like what we see on Ethereum, the, the transactions are much higher here on ZK Sync versus USDC on Ethereum. And then we also looked at it from comparing to Arbitrum and Optimism, optimistic rollups, and again, much higher. So you know, digging into this a little bit, but interesting to see that it's being used for stablecoins, being used for DEXs. Almost all of these other projects are primarily DeFi oriented projects, which kind of makes sense. DeFi is typically the first thing that gets built on a new ecosystem. Um, you kind of need to build that like financial infrastructure first and then and then you get the other stuff. But that's kind of the takeaways in terms of like the number of transactions. We've looked at this for active users um, as well. And like the data sort of looks the same, right? The top two are Circle and SyncSwap. Once again, even for active users, Circle has 2.8 million active users over, over a 180 day period. Um, SyncSwap has 2.56. So you have pretty good numbers here. Um, and then in terms of gas fees, always gonna see the DEXs be up there on the gas fees because the computation required to do a, a DEX swap is is just more intensive than a simple, you know, stablecoin transfer. So this gives you a little bit deeper on like how is this ecosystem being used, um, and what are these like initial sort of projects that are being built on the L2. Yeah. So look, just quickly, Michael, would it be fair to say that since what you have told us in your comparative analysis of zk sync versus other rollups is that there is clearly a preference among users, then right? who are exposed to ZK Sync, that they would rather prefer to use ZK Sync to interact with these smart contracts, such as they would rather use SyncSwap rather than using Uniswap if they are exposed to ZK Sync ecosystem. And that would then elude that these users value privacy because any smart contract transactions that they are doing, let's say on SyncSwap, is private. You can't really identify or nail down a user like you would with Uniswap. You can't really do that if somebody is interacting with these smart contracts on the ZK Sync ecosystem. Would it be a fair assumption or conclusion to make? Could be. So right now the experience would be the same. So if you're doing that 
the privacy on the L2, and this is on ZK Swing's roadmap. They're they're going to make these transactions private, but they're focused on scaling currently. So if you if you went to a sync swap transfer and went to a ZK Sync block explorer and observed it, you would see similar transparency that you would see on like an Ethereum block explorer. The privacy is when the data is anchored to Ethereum. So if you looked at the transaction, the proof of the transaction that went to Ethereum you wouldn't be able to see all those details. Somewhat irrelevant just because you can still see them if you went to the L2 block explorer to see the execution of it. And that's one of the questions of like, what are the key differences between these optimistic rollups, these zero knowledge rollups? And then how does that start to point towards use cases? Will we start to get consensus amongst developers around like which style fits certain use cases? I would say that like, this isn't very clear right now and especially when you look at the types of projects being built on these they all looked at like if we looked at optimism or arbitrum and looked at the types of projects we wouldn't see clear consensus like you'd see DeFi as probably the number one on those as well you know as these ecosystems mature to see like what are developers identifying as you know our games our games going to be built on zero knowledge rollups and that just doesn't make sense for optimistic rollups for example i think we'll start to get clarity on that as things mature but yeah that's that's kind of where we're at right now can i quickly ask you another question then michael and this is me the curious host as you know always asking questions according to you why zk sync is so popular among users in that case since it's more expensive than the optimistic rollups why do you think ZK Sync is more popular among the users then? So one of the like important things with any blockchain or L2 is how much money did these teams raise? And then how did they use that money to incentivize developers to come in? So there is a there is a $200 million grant proposal from BitDAO, which basically is seeding a lot of these teams, I believe. So you had all of this, all of these projects that were actually being built on ZK Sync before their mainnet went live. So this is very strategic. They raised a ton of money, built all this while they were building the blockchain. They had projects already building with them. And then when they launched the mainnet, they've already got like almost like this distribution mechanism. They've got, you know, lots of users, developers, and it's easier to bootstrap it. From there, it's just, is this real, right? Are they, are they coming over for airdrops? That's essentially the work that I'm doing now is to determine, you know, are these mercenary users or are they going to stay? And then what are the interesting use cases that we can clearly see differentiated? I don't have the per perfect answer to that just yet, but we can certainly see that there's a good amount of activity happening so far. So, And we thank you and Token Terminal for that. So this was great. Yeah. Just to close it up, I wanted to share some comps data. So let me pull that up. Just closing out here with, with some comps data. You know, as I mentioned, we talked a lot about the optimistic rollups in the prior L2 economics of, of Ethereum L2s episode. People can check out. So how does ZK Sync, right? They launched the mainnet, you know, after these projects. Sorry, base actually launched after ZK Sync. So that's the, the most, the newest one. But Arbitrum and Optimism were around before ZK Sync. You know, how are they stacking up just in terms of the last six months, you can see ZK Sync is number one in terms of revenues. In terms of like the gross margin, they're number two today, pretty close, you know, across the board. In terms of average daily active users, they're number one with a pretty nice like lead 
there, which is pretty interesting. Nine month user retention, we showed, you know, those user retention rates just blowing out these other projects out of the water on this user retention. So we're going to continue to monitor that. In terms of like the the number of transactions um, over the last 180 days is average per day. ZK Sync is almost at a million per day. So again, number one against their optimistic roll-up competitors. In terms of value locked, this is where they're a little bit behind. So number four, in terms of total value locked for developers, number one, we showed the growth in developer community transactions per second. They're also number one in this category, total transactions, you know, 160 million, number one, and the average costs, you know, they're all kind of close here. And this is going to be updated. The Ethereum network has an upgrade coming called EIP 48. Four, four, and this number should come down significantly once that's implemented. But yeah, pretty interesting to see like them pretty much leading in most of the important categories compared to these other L2s. So something we'll, we'll continue to monitor. But yeah, that's ZK Sync for now. Anyways. Uh, look, I'm just amazed at that nine month user retention figure. If we bring a Web2 product manager, if we bring Google, Meta, Amazon, any of their product managers, and they see that statistic, that the user retention is 53%, their mind would be blown away. So yeah, look, I would love to continue monitoring ZK Sync. I just find this statistics, especially since I'm viewing this for the first time, you have analyzed this, so you've studied this for at least a few weeks now. I'm seeing this for the first time. I just find this comparative analysis bizarre. Firstly, because of the nine month user retention being so high. Then secondly, so many daily active users compared to its other peers, yet its total value log is so less. So that clearly suggests that in certain ways, they are doing something right. That's why they've got an incredible user retention. However, the users do not have that much of value within their wallets. That's why the total value log is actually very less compared to its other competitors. So interesting group of users ZK Sync have. And it will be great to see this comparative analysis change month after month. Yeah, and we'll be interested to see if this number does come up. And this is sort of what we're digging more into. So we're looking at the specific wallets and trying to determine what you just said. Like, are these just sort of people that are coming over with very little value in the wallets that are just sort of interacting with the smart contracts because they want to pick up some airdrops moving forward or there's token incentives for liquidity mining or whatever for some of these projects and are people going to get start to get more comfortable moving larger amounts of value because when you're you know interacting on a newer blockchain there's always like a little bit of risk moving your assets over so yeah good insight from you just seeing that difference and then yeah the nine month the user retention rates are certainly much higher than than their competition. So yeah, more to come on this, but interesting project. This is something we're looking, you know, going to continue to monitor for 2024. StarkNet is another zero knowledge no rollup that we're looking at as well. It doesn't have a token just yet, but we think they're going to be part of this, this conversation as well. Amazing. I think this was a great episode, Michael. I think people when they're going to watch this episode. And I, I also want all the DeFi report Substack users to subscribe on the DeFi report YouTube channel so that they can visually see all the hard work that Token Terminal, Michael and I, and our team, Gian, uh, led by Gian, are doing. Uh, so subscribe on DeFi Report YouTube channel and uh, see what all visuals are coming over here your way rather than just listening on the audio because this is some great analysis. And uh, this is exactly why we started the rundown, isn't it? 100%. That we create this framework for investment professionals 
rather than drawing lines on a chart and telling when it's going to go to the moon. So great insight. We're going to track this. And I think that uh, today what we did with ZK Sync is something that we should continue doing with other projects so that people get enlightened about these other projects as well. Next week, we're going to talk about the result and whatever the result is going to be for the ARK Bitcoin spot ETF and whatever that repercussions would be. And uh, we're going to dig a little bit deep on CME contracts versus other crypto derivative contracts that are available on native crypto exchanges as well and our you know educational series that we're doing anyway anything for you last words for you michael before i say goodbye to all our listeners and viewers no i think just you know we've been getting a lot of good feedback we've even had some people reach out and say hey we'd love to see you guys cover this project or that project so you know, keep those suggestions coming. We're going to keep doing the analysis and we're always looking for new ideas. Hopefully we'll have some guests coming as well this year. But yeah, just excited to, to continue to do this on a weekly basis with you. Amazing, Michael. And on that note, guys, please, like Michael said, comment, let us know what you like, what you don't like, and we'll continue to be on this self-improvement journey. We're doing this because we're going to enter a bull cycle and a lot of, you know, charlatans are going to come and tell you what is the next big thing, which is not going to be the next big thing, and you're going to lose money on that. We don't want that to happen to you all. So let us know what you like, what you don't like. We're going to keep on improving. And if you do like it, please share it with your mom and dad. So they also get to know what really crypto is about rather than what they think or what they hear on various traditional financial news channels. And with that, Michael, thanks a lot for another great analysis on this episode of The Rundown. And thank you all for tuning in. See you next week. Yep. Thanks, everybody. Bye.